In one trendy Denver neighborhood, right next to a golf course, we find an old home almost hidden in plain sight. Unkept bushes cover the windows. Overgrown trees consume the front porch. He's been missing for more than a year. Inside, a 69-year-old man. He wouldn't look you in the eye. An urban hermit who permanently shut himself off from society. Basically disappeared. So removed from life and people, nobody knew he vanished. We do know police found a body. A year after his family searched his home. Well, there's no way he was there when we searched after him. After unsanitary conditions hindered their investigation. A year after he was declared missing. We'll be out with the health department. The mystery of Chuck came to a bizarre end. No more after the coroner's report. Who's to blame? How does a man become... He was found in his own home. home. Lost at home. Nine one one. What's that? Just a mere emergency. This is our daughter with a transfer. Go ahead, ma'am. Hi there. Um, what is the address? Is... Yeah, it it will be forty four zero one West Fiftieth Avenue. This is a house apartment or a business? It's a house. Okay, hey, tell me exactly what happened. Well, it's not an emergency, but it's it's an inquiry. Um, I live next door to this house, and the guy that lives there is um, he's like a hoarder and a in um, and the house is really it's dilapidated and I mean, it's falling down and the, uh, you know I think the city gives them citations once in a while but my concern is is that we you know we rarely see this guy outside of his house and um, so I don't know that there's any heat in the house because my neighbor and I we kind of walked around it and sorry. on the inside I'm sorry to interrupt you is this going to be a welfare check I think so. I just want to make sure that guy is not dead inside his house. Welcome to episode seven of Blame Lost at Home. What you just heard there was a 911 call made by Cheryl Lannister. She used to live right next door to Chuck. She made that call on February 4th, 2017. This is the first warning to the city that Chuck may be dead in his home. I mean, you, we haven't seen them out. There used to be like a light uh, kind of that illuminated from one of the windows, like a TV was on, you know, kind of see that. And then, I mean, he never comes out of his house. The mailbox used to be there full of mail and now it's gone. So I'm just, I just think he could have died in that house and, you know, like nobody would know. Right. Okay. So that's why. We obtained this 911 call shortly after we interviewed Commander Barb Archer with Denver Police, who you heard from in episode six. This 911 call lasts six minutes. We're not gonna play the whole thing. But throughout the call, Cheryl Lannister repeatedly expresses concern Chuck might be dead in his house. She said she was used to seeing the glow of his TV, but that went dark. She tells the operator she walked up to look inside the house and noticed frost on the inside of a broken window. But the part that really sticks out the most is a part that made our jaws drop in the newsroom when we first heard it. What she says here turns out to be so prophetic. So you're just concerned that he might be dead? <laughs> yeah, because the house looks, I mean, it's been in a dilapidated state, and but it's just kind of weird, you know, weird because nobody ever comes and goes from there. And then it just seems as if it's gone radio silent in every way. Maybe he has some relatives that came and got him. We don't know. But, you know, I'd hate for a year to go by and then someone discovers this guy is dead in his, died in his house. After that call, 
It took 383 days for the city to find Chuck in his living room. As we've mentioned in our reporting, we know police visited Chuck's home five times before he was finally discovered, but they really never made a serious effort to look inside his home. They needed help from the city agency that handles hoarding cases. And I'm the director of the Public Health Inspections Division for the Denver Department of Public Health and Environment. That's a long title. It is, a mouthful. <laughs> right now, I'm sitting in a large, open, echoey lobby of the city building that houses the Denver Department of Public Health and Environment. For accuracy's sake, we must mention that when Chuck first went missing, the agency was called Denver Department of Environmental Health, but they've recently changed their name to Denver Department of Public Health and Environment. For our own sanity, we'll just refer to them as environmental health. Sitting with me is Danica Lee, a top-level manager for the department. What is your role like? What do you do during the day? The division that I'm the director of has a number of different regulatory and investigation programs, including food safety, marijuana, swimming pools, body art, residential health, noise, childcare. And you're ahead of all of that? Yes. That's a lot of levers you got to pull and switch. <laughs> well, we've got a really great team. Fortunately, I don't have to pull all the levers myself. So you got to know a lot about a lot of different subjects that fall under your umbrella then. You know, certainly we need to have a lot of kind of public health related um, information expertise and we also need to be experts in interpreting and applying our regulations. It's kind of an interesting mix, swimming pools and tattoos. Yep, you know, um, lots of different regulated <laughs> environments and we also deal, um, we work with shelters serving the homeless population and trying to make sure that those are in good condition. And the residential health program is the program um, where we enforce the housing code. And um, so there's a number of different aspects, health-related aspects, that we regulate and enforce under that program. So far, at this point in our reporting, we haven't received much documentation from the police because the case is still open. But we did get some interesting reports from environmental health about Chuck's case. We can see in these reports, police detectives knew for months there was likely a body in Chuck's home. One detective wrote, I'm concerned that his body is buried under the large volume of apparent trash inside. But it took those detectives eight months to finally get the message to environmental health there was a severe hoarding problem in Chuck's house. And when inspectors finally tried to enter the home for the first time, they weren't prepared for what they saw. It says here in the report, you guys received the complaint or information October 10th, 2017. The case notes are pretty extensive in this case, and there was quite a bit of work done by our team. There was a site visit that was conducted um, on October 26th, um, and a number of conversations that occurred prior to that. Um, at the time of the site, uh, visit, we really were able to establish the scope and severity of the condition of the house. Um, and I, I have to say, it, it's one of the um, it's one of the most severe hoarding cases that we've investigated. And um, we did not have the appropriate type of protective equipment to really go in and do a thorough investigation within the home at that point. This was a case that really challenged the, um, the, the, the resources and the program that we have. I mean, it was one of the most severe cases that we've dealt with. So we had to do a lot of preparation and really prioritize the safety of our staff. I wanna go back to when you guys did first receive the complaint. Uh, I think you said it, but I wanna be clear. You guys 
first were notified in October of 2017 by the Denver Police Department. Uh, that's correct. Sounds like, you know, they filed this missing persons report, they take this report in, then sometime in July, the detective decides to try to contact you guys through 311. That doesn't work. And then finally, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, we have nine months that pass where the detective is well aware about this, but then nine months passes and then you guys are finally made aware. Mm -hmm. Nine months, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, me personally, nine months for you guys to be notified of this severe situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough for me to, I, I'm not familiar with what the police department, um, how they have to conduct investigations. And I imagine that this was a very challenging case for them as well. I think especially when you're not able to identify the owner or find you know, locate the owner of a property, um, that can create a lot of challenges, certainly with our investigations and potentially with other agencies' investigations as well. There are a number of bases that we have to cover, especially when we're going into a dwelling without the permission of a homeowner. There's a lot of legal considerations sure. that need to be addressed, and with this particular case, some very severe safety considerations that had to be addressed. Um, we had not, I mean, we're not in the business, generally, of going in and identifying remains. Um, and this was a very unusual case. And so there was a lot of coordination that had to be done between different cities agencies with the city attorney's office. Well, we gotta point out here, of course they couldn't get the permission of the homeowner because Chuck is the owner. He's officially missing at this point. And even the police have already come to the conclusion that he is likely dead inside his house. So you're first made aware in October of 2017. You guys are coordinating, you're analyzing, you're taking a look at what you guys need to do. And it takes October, November, December, January, February, four months for you guys to finally go in there and uh, dig around and pull his remains out. Four months, how would you characterize that time frame? Is that a long time or is that a pretty acceptable time frame? You know, again, in this case, this was an unprecedented situation. February was not our first time going into the facility. So we did visit or into the, the, um, the structure. We visited the property on a number of different occasions. And there was a prior instance, um, and it's documented in the case notes here, um, where we went into the property um, but couldn't get very far. I mean, the nature of the horde really makes it impassable. And we don't know if there are, if there's broken glass, what types of hazards might be in there. Um, so, you know, for this type of unprecedented situation, we don't have a good comparable timetable to look at, um, but it, um, it is how long it, it took us to be able to proceed with things. You're essentially telling me, and in summary, is that, and maybe you can dispute this, you guys weren't prepared for this case. This is a case that was unlike one that we've dealt with before, and I think you'd be challenged to find a local health department that has dealt with um, this type of situation. I would like to point out that there was um, some discussion from the police department about the potential of using a cadaver dog yes. to go in and investigate yeah. this. Um, and our understanding is that the determination made by the cadaver dog's handlers was that this was a, um, a circumstance that was too unsafe to even send in a dog to conduct an investigation. And so um, if that gives you any idea of kind of like, you know, the, the extent of what, we're, what we were working with, um, it, um, it, it was, as I said, very challenging. Who handles the cadaver dogs? You know, I don't know. That would probably be a question for the police department. I think they work um, routinely. 
routinely. That's not something that we... We did ask them about the cadaver dogs, and they said that is not their decision, and I think they turned it to you guys. Gotcha. No, we don't have any role um, with cadaver dogs. So I, um, as far as I know, there's some handlers of the dogs, and but I, I'm not sure if those are, they operate on a contract basis, but we generally are not interfacing ever with cadaver dogs during the normal scope of our investigations. Did you guys like not have the proper equipment to go inside this kind of house like this? This was a, um, a an environment that, um, surpassed the, the, the scope of what our, our routine PPE, our protective equipment, okay. is intended for. So it was so extreme, it was so bad, you guys really had to really get tougher, stronger, better equipment. Yeah, I mean, we had to get full ventilation systems to go in. Um, that's not normally something that we're dealing with. We have, you know, respirators um, and other types of masks that we use, but we had to absolutely invest in new types of equipment to mm. keep us safe. To do you guys have that on hand readily available now? Now we do, yeah. And now you guys have that mm -hmm. now? You know, the, the types of concerns, safety concerns that we had were due to the extent of rodent activity in there, um, and which was pretty isolated to within the home. Um, also, there were a lot of, um, you know, there were containers of um, hazardous materials, bodily fluids, apparently, um, but you know most of these issues were pretty well contained in the home, and so the surrounding properties, while you know you know certainly visually they're impacted by the presence yeah. of that property, we weren't seeing a whole lot of spillover of those conditions within the home to the neighboring properties. This is, I mean, a very sad circumstance, and when you read through the notes here. Uh, it, I mean, in the pictures that we were able to obtain from your agency, you can clearly see that this was a, a, a significant uh, a case of hoarding. Um, it's certainly one of the worst cases that our team has seen in recent history. Um, and as you said, a really tragic set of circumstances. Um, and, you know, our team did um, an amazing job interfacing with the family and certainly extend our condolences to the family and the, you know, the, the community. The time frame it took when the city of Denver was first warned about Chuck to the moment when he was finally found was uh, 383 days uh, when his remains were finally pulled out of there. And I know the city of Denver is a big, you know, government agency. It's a big municipality with lots of different moving parts. You have the police department, then you have your agency. Why did it take so long for this man to be pulled out of his home? A situation like this where an individual has really isolated themselves can present a lot of challenges. You know, their family is not aware that they're gone and a lot of the relationships that people might normally depend upon to detect an issue are not there. And so in a situation like that, there's all types of legal issues, safety considerations, a lot of coordination that has to happen. And in terms of when my, my agency came on the scene in October, um, you can see that every week we were, you know, we were adding another note relating to the investigation. This was not an issue where anybody forgot about this individual. There was a lot of concern here for this individual, for his family. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a magic wand that we can wave in a situation like this. Was this paralysis by analysis? Um, I don't think so. You know, we have a lot of things that we have to be mindful about. We can't just barge into somebody's home. There's a limit to our authority, and there's good reasons for that. Do you think this case was handled well? We are very proud of the job that our team did. Um, and unfortunately, in a situation like this, you know, this is not an unprecedented situation. If you look nationally, cases like this do happen from time to time. 
Um, many of them can take much, much longer to resolve than this. Um, and we, we took unprecedented action to try to reach some resolution in this case. Is there any changes that your agency is doing to maybe handle another case that may pop up like this down the line? Um, you know, certainly the best approach is always if we can stop something before it gets this bad. Certainly we now have some established safety protocols that for, for severe cases and some ways of assessing the severity that um, we had not had a need for before. And so that will also impact us as we move forward. I, I completely understand the situation you're in. Uh, you don't, you don't want to throw another agency under the bus. You don't want to blame another agency, and I get that. And I know you're not going to do that. But here you have a man who was sitting dead in his house for a year. For a whole year, his remains were in his house. And it was well known among the city of Denver, people who worked for the city of Denver, that this guy was sitting in his house for a whole year. How is that acceptable? I don't think that you can say that it was well known. There was a suspicion. I think, I think it was because the detective in this case, way back in February, you know, when he took the case, he was told by family that he never left the house, that Charles never left the house. And then in, in April, he says the words here, for safety reasons we did not enter, I'm concerned that his body is buried under the large volume of apparent trash inside. That was in April when he wrote that down. Mm -hmm. And then it took April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February. 10 months from when he wrote that word down. I mean, how is that acceptable? You know, he had that concern. I don't think it's fair to say that anybody knew that this, for sure, that this was in there. Um, the family didn't know for sure that, that he was in there. Um, so, you know, because of the complexity and the severity of this case, I think there's a lot of factors that have to be taken into consideration that contribute to the length of time and also a lot of um, circumstances about this individual's life that made it difficult to um, proceed with a, a quick investigation, unfortunately. Could there have been better coordination? going on between maybe the police department and your agency here? It's easy to look back and speculate about what could have been done differently. Um, what, what I can tell you is that in similar circumstances in the future, um, we absolutely have some well-established protocols now about how to handle a situation like this that is unprecedented in nature. It sounds like what you're telling me throughout this whole interview, you're relatively satisfied with how your agency handled this case, given its severity. We feel that we um, were diligent and um, went to great lengths to um, work to resolve this case. Okay. The two city agencies who handled Chuck's case, the police department and environmental health, both defend themselves. Even though it took more than a year after the first warning Chuck may be dead in his house, police and environmental health are satisfied with how they handled his case. Despite that first 911 call from Chuck's neighbor and then Chuck's family also notifying police that he was missing, it still took authorities over a year to organize themselves enough to figure out how to get into his house and remove his remains. What do you think? Is this acceptable or should the city have moved faster? Join our Facebook page by searching Blame Podcast. Tell us your thoughts. Ask us questions. Or you can find me on Twitter at Jeremy Hohola or my email at jeremy at 9news.com. Make sure you subscribe because we are not done. Mystery Mike, that guy is still out there, and now he has two unrelated active warrants, and we are still trying to track him down. Our next episode, 
We answer some of your questions and unpack everything we know about how a man can be lost at home.